Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Under the Sun podcast, the unofficial podcast of Sunbelt Conference Athletics with Sully and Nash. My name is TJ O'Sullivan, and I'm joined by my colleague, Kyle Nash. We've got a good one for you today. We've got some Olympic sport news from around the Sunbelt. We've got your week four results and recaps and the meat and potatoes of this episode. We've got a very special guest joining us later, head coach of the Coastal Carolina Shauna Clears, Jamie Chadwell. We had a chance to interview him yesterday. We're going to air that interview for you and see what he had to say. But let me introduce my partner in crime, Kyle Nash. I'm Kyle. How are you? And I, I, I'm doing all right. I, our schedules keep getting uh, thrown around because uh, Mother Nature decides to uh, mess everything up. Yeah, uh, as uh, Kyle is alluding to, uh, I am currently in Orlando, Florida. Um, I've got Hurricane Ian uh, about to hit in the next, oh, let me check my watch, any time now. Uh, so we are yeah, doing... <laughs> yeah, exactly. You just look um, outside. <laughs> yeah, I, I see a couple uh, couple lawn chairs flying around. Uh, got a, uh, is that a cow? Um, nope. It, yeah. It's, it's, it's the same cow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um, yeah, so we decided that we were going to uh, record this episode a little bit early uh, so we can keep this upload schedule good. I'm going to set a, um, a, uh, a, a I, don't, I don't know what you call it, like a, a set ahead time um, to record tomorrow, just in case my power goes out, you know. Um, <laughs> but hey, we're talking Sunbelt sports here today. We're not worried about that. We, we are still in my happy place. So, um, Kyle, what do you say? Do we, you, you want to just jump right into it? Well, why beat around the bush? Let's just go ahead and go for it. All right. Well, in that case, we've got a brand new segment here on Under the Sun with Kyle, and we are going to pass that over to him. He's going to take us on a trip around the sun. Here we go. All right. Well, let's start with men's soccer first. Right now, we have two teams in the top 25, Marshall and Kentucky, both of them in the top five, actually. Uh, This past week, Kentucky defeated Georgia State after scoring five unanswered goals, four of them in the second half. On the women's soccer side, Appalachian State and Marshall was the game to look at. Marshall's Morgan White scored twice, including the game winner in the 87th minute to give the Herd their first victory as a member of the Sun Belt. And to pile on the James Madison and Appalachian State bandwagon, the James Madison Dukes defeated Appalachian State in back-to-back sweeps over the weekend to give them their uh, first wins in conference play. TJ, what do you think? Well, I think that James Madison is just uh, adding insult to injury, Uh, but we will get to why that is later. Um, But yeah, some great games all around um, in the soccer and volleyball worlds. I'm really excited to see what the rest of the seasons uh, turn out, Um, especially since I haven't heard a whole lot of news about Coastal Carolina volleyball, which I know was a top program um, mm-hmm. when we were attending. Um, so we're going to have to check up on them at some point, maybe well, next they, week. So they, uh, they had two games last week, and they, they are now 2-0 and in 
conference play. I believe they were playing Georgia State. Let me make sure. Actually, yes, Georgia State. Uh, they swept them on Saturday. They swept them on Friday and Saturday. So they are now 2-0 in conference play, tied with James Madison. And I want to say Old Dominion. I don't have the standings right in front of me. Well, fantastic that these newcomers can come in and, and compete with the powerhouse um, of the Sun Belt. Um, the other thing that I wanted to, uh, it, it, on that same token, uh, James Madison coming in in not only football having a great game, but also coming into women's volleyball and uh, competing and beating, not beating, but sweeping uh, the game against App State, who is a, a formidable member of this conference. I mean, like I said last week, and, and we kind of, we, we definitely went over on our time last week with how much we praised these new additions, just a little bit. Uh, <laughs> but these new additions, it's going to make things more competitive. That iron uh, sharpens iron mentality that you were talking about. Um, I really, I, I cannot be... I don't think I can be any more excited for the Sun Belt than I can this year. I agree. And, and the thing that you were talking about, you know, yeah, we went over a little bit last week, but that was our first episode. We need to make sure that we set the tone for what Under the Sun is going to be with the being the unofficial podcast Under the Sun Belt. And we couldn't do that in 30 minutes. So, you know, we right. had, of course, praising uh, Marshall, Old Dominion, Southern Miss, and James Madison. I uh, almost forgot them. But oh, you turned it into me. Ah, uh, uh, see? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you have an excuse this week. I don't know about last week, but... Um, yeah, that's true. But it, you know, these new uh, additions have really um, elevated not just football. You know, everyone talks about how all expansion or realignment is about football. But the... Uh, Olympic sports is really where you see some of the bread and butter of the impact of new members. Yeah, I agree. Um, we should also just make, you know, this known. It is not going to be a two hour episode this week. Um, that's why we have decided that we're going to add in these segments. Um, we, we've got a segment coming up later, uh, that I believe we're calling, uh, best of the rest. Um, the rest of our, uh, our non-conference as, uh, Sunbelt games, um, are going to be put into there and any games that weren't necessarily close, uh, we're going to put it in there so that we're not, we, we don't become stale and we're not wasting your time. We want to get that information to you. Um, so that was the first segment trip around the sun, um, Fantastic job, Kyle. Thank you very much. And now we're going to move into the main event. Just right off the bat, we're going to give it to you. We had an opportunity to talk to, as I said earlier, head coach of the Coastal Carolina Shauna Clears, Jamie Chadwell. Uh, he took he, he was nice enough to give us some time uh, to talk about some of the topics circulating the Coastal Carolina Shauna Clears right now. They're four and zero, looking to increase that to five and zero against Georgia Southern this weekend. Um, and we got into talking about that with him as well as some of his players, how the experience on the team uh, that left last year um, was crucial to the turnaround of his program. We also got into 
another topic about his part-time job. So we, uh, we're going to, yeah, we're going to cue that up right now. Special thanks to Coastal Athletics and uh, Jamie Chadwell. Let's take a listen. All right. Joining us now is the head coach of the Coastal Carolina, Shauna Clears, Jamie Chadwell. Coach, how are you doing today? Doing well. Appreciate you uh, giving me the opportunity to be on here. It's about time we get on here. It's been five weeks. Yeah. <laughs> well, funny story. This is week two of our podcast, so you've been a little more busy than we have. Um, but, uh, thank you very much for taking the time. Um, you, you mentioned this is week five, uh, the Shauna clears are a perfect four and O on the season so far. And I did want to touch on something. You might be the only head football coach at the FBS level who has picked up a part-time job at Bojangles. Uh, and I, I wanted to touch on that. How are the hours over there? How are, uh, are they, are they letting you, you know, come out for Saturdays? They, uh, they actually give me a pretty good schedule for the most part. Uh, and then when they try to schedule me too much, I mess the biscuits up. So then they, they tell me I can't come back, but, uh, the Bojangles, I love, I love their, I love their company. And also I know how football goes. They love you one, one year and the next year they want to get rid of you. So I figure I better start my next career just in case things don't go well. Well, they have definitely gone well to uh, to this point. As I said, 4-0 this season and uh, the past two seasons lost a total of three games by, I think, a total of, of less than 20 points. So, uh, obviously, something's eight going Eight to be right. exact. Yeah, eight, eight points to be exact, yeah. It still sticks with me. Well, you know, we we're talking about Bojangles and in um, and, and the fun you had there, but another article, another a bigger media outlet has been talking about you as ESPN. They had a recent article about your interim season in 2017. How does that season and the team meeting in that article that helped turn the corner on and off the field continue to shape the culture of Coastal Carolina to this day? Well, you know, at th- that point, um, you know, it was a struggle. Obviously, I was a substitute teacher for that year, you know, and you guys know if you have a substitute teacher, you really don't care what they say. You're just, re- you know, you're, you act out a little bit. And that's what I felt like that whole year there because I was trying to, um, you know, keep it in place for Coach Mogan when he came back. And But uh, it was challenging. And, and what it did, it really it really stressed you to feel to as a coach to say, hey, what do I believe in? And do I believe in that regardless of what the outcome looks like right now? Mm-hmm. And being able to uh, not necessarily say stick to your guns, but adapt uh, to, to do things a little different way, but still believe in your core values. And, and I think what happened, being able to do that, that helped one instill more confidence in, in me and, and the way we want to do things, the way we want to run it. Uh, and and it showed me that it could it could work at the FBS level because I'd been at D two and 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 uh, you know lower levels FCS and even though we were struggling that year, um, having that meeting helped bring the best out of me and I think give me clarity on how I wanted to be and the type of coach that I needed to be to try to be successful and and so those lessons and those even though there's nobody left except uh, uh, one person, which is a GA for us, Trey Carter. He was a redshirt freshman that year, and he's a GA now for us uh, from that from that time frame. But I think that sort of set the example. Trey and some of those younger guys that were in there knew how it was going to be once uh, you know once I did take over as a full time head coach, and I I think that's no doubt is why we're at today where we're at, and and continue to try to build this program. 
Yeah, and I think that it it definitely helped create a um, that that culture, that winning culture that you guys have instilled. Um, but now we're at a point where last year you had a huge um, a huge loss of your super seniors that were the first uh, I guess freshman class to um, fully go through that that winning culture. Um, guys like Javon Hiley. Uh, Silas Kelly, Teddy Gallagher, uh, you mentioned Trey Carter and uh, Isaiah Likely. Um, all of that experience having um, been lost from you guys have now encouraged new guys to step up and fill those roles. So what has impressed you the most in this group of new Shauna Clears? And if there's anyone that stood out in practice that's maybe not getting any playing time, uh, but like what's what's impressed you? Well, I think, uh, you know, you didn't, you mentioned all those guys and, and we lost a lot of really good players, really good culture guys. Uh, and what they did off the field was really set the standard and the expectation of what's supposed to happen on the field. And so when you do bring new guys in or you have young guys, uh, sometimes do they take hold of that? If they're not playing, do they say, well, this culture is not for me. Um, you know, I'm going to do things my way. What, I've been impressed with with these young players. We got a lot of new players, you know, that have first or second year guys in our program. They they've completely bought into what we're doing, uh, even when they weren't playing. And I think that's why you've seen us. Now we've had some struggles. We've not been a pretty four and zero this year by any means, but they they've kept believing in what we're about and why we do what we do. And as a unit, as a collection of guys, I think I'm pleased with that more than anything. I knew we were going to have rough patches. Um, playing wise and going through some ups and downs. I just knew that when you're inexperienced, that happens. But they've they've no matter what circumstances we faced, um, they've kept believing in and in, in what we do and how we do it. And I think that's why we've, you know, continued to have some success here early and, and hopefully as we continue to get better and get more experience, more and more people play. Um, you know, as far as people that haven't played much uh, that uh, you've not seen much on the field. You know, we, we've got some some young players that we're really excited about uh, that um, I think have a chance to be really good in this league. I, we've got a young a young freshman that's not touched the field yet, but I think we'll soon. Uh, Elijah Hopkins, who is going to be a dynamic player that came in mid-year and, and, and assimilated to what we're trying to do. Had a shoulder injury, though, and missed some time, or he'd have probably already been playing. But I think he's somebody that you're going to see continue that's maybe not played these first four games that has a chance to do some special things for us uh, that uh, that we're excited about. And we got some other guys that are learning there. But, um, you know, the thing with young people sometimes, you just – you put them out there and – they look. They they think they know what they're doing, and they get out there and they freeze. So we're still we're still trying to build some of that confidence in them right now. Well, speaking of confidence, how important is it to a a young offense that you have a quarterback room that's led by Grayson McCall, that's redshirt juniors, super seniors? So they've been around the program for a few years. How important is having no that senior leadership on the offensive side of the ball? Well, I, I think you can't put a price tag on that piece. You know, if we were young there with the youngness wherever other places, uh, this is already a challenging year. It'd make it even more challenging. You know, we've had we've had in the first four games, we've been without uh, an average of five offensive starters in the first four games uh, on our team. 
without having Grayson there to help us through that, those older players to help us through that, navigate that, um, it would have, it, uh, who knows where we'd be, might be 0 and 4. And so having somebody, one that can play the level he does, but just being through the battles that he's been through and the challenges, and he's already faced adversity and he knows how to handle it, respond to it. He's been uh, a huge key off the field, on the field. Everybody knows he's a big key, but off the field to keep guys uh, mindset right, to keep them uh, evenly kill, not try to get too up, too down when bad things happen or when good things happen. He's done a fantastic job for us on that. Absolutely. And um, uh, let's look on the defensive side of the ball. Once again, lose a lot of players, um, super seniors. And it looked in the Georgia State game that the defense was turning the corner a little bit. We had four takeaways, two interceptions, two fumble recoveries. Uh, can you tell us what you and the coaching staff saw in the first few games and how you made those adjustments, uh, adjustments in preparing for Georgia State last week? Well, you know, one, I think we actually have some some really good players, a lot of depth on the defensive side of the ball. But what, what the challenge was, was when you open with Army and their specific type, we didn't play our real defense, what we would normally play the rest of the year. We didn't play our real defense for counting the game, the week of the game, for almost 10 to 12 practices. And so you practice, you know, a lot to try to get yourself ready from inexperienced guys ready, and then we went away from it from 12 practices. And I think what happened – Week two, week three, we were still producing some turnovers, but we were giving up a lot of big plays. Uh, and a lot of those were from just misassignments, misalignments, things that maybe uh, if we'd have had those extra days to work on, uh, maybe they don't happen. And so I, I think what you're seeing, especially versus Georgia State, is um, that was probably the first game, with the, with the exception of right before halftime, where we really played a complete game and didn't have the breakdowns that we've normally had. And I think you're seeing some of those younger players get more and more experience, get more comfortable with what they're doing. Uh, and uh, the confidence isn't improving. And that's why we played better. And hopefully you'll still continue to do that. We're going to play, obviously, tremendous teams going forward. Um, but it's more so about us and just making sure we align and do the things that we can control and then let our let our talent hopefully you know do what it's capable of. But I think that was the main thing is just getting those younger players in key positions like we – We've got young linebackers. We got young secondary guys at safety. We got older guys at corner. We got some older guys up front on the D line. So they've been actually doing pretty good. It's that it's that it's that linebacker safety level that's so big in defense, and they've slowly improved each and every week. And I, I think it, at least last week it culminated where we played pretty well. Now, obviously, you're playing a new opponent this week, and and they're really good. So there's going to be more challenges, but our confidence is in, increasing on that side of the ball. Yeah, and 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 I agree that the just the the way that it looked from the naked eye, you guys looked the best um, that you've looked all year on defense, um, and we actually said that earlier in the show. Um, and speaking of one of those tremendous teams that you you touched on before, uh, you have Georgia Southern coming up this Saturday, um, and this is a program that is so we're so used to seeing them in that true triple option. And now they've got this quarterback, Kyle Van Trees, who is tearing it up in the air. Um, he's, he's putting up some big numbers. Um, how does a player like Van Trees change the approach when you're preparing to face a team that you've had pretty much the same, um, I guess, mindset going into the game, knowing that it's going to be more of a game on the ground? 
Well, he, he's a fantastic player, and we and we actually played him last year at Buffalo, and he did a great job versus up there. About you know, we about got beat by him up there. So we we've seen him up and up and close, and he does a fantastic job. He's very accurate and he's tough. Uh, and then what happens, you know, when when they change an offense is obviously the portals allowed you to if you do change offenses, it's not like you have to start from scratch. You can get a quarterback, you can get some people. What he's done, I think, uh, and what Coach Helton and the staff has done there is there, there's just a great belief and confidence in what they're doing. They're playing with a with a, a confident mindset, uh, and you can see that on video. You can see how they play, and I think the quarterback has really done that offensively. They don't feel like they're ever out of anything because they got him back there, and, and he can make the plays and make the throws, and and it's challenging because you are. You're used to a certain group, and then they come in, and they're doing some different things, and they're doing it well. And it's a different dynamic that you have to, you know, get ready for. And they're they're the best team that we've seen up to this point, no doubt, with the with the the three things, three phases of football there. Uh, and the confidence they're playing with is 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 an opposing coach. It's it's fun to you know to see them playing with the confidence because you know they're believing in what they're doing. Absolutely. So we want to wish you luck on Saturday. Uh, we're not going to ask you too many details about your game plan, uh, being that it's only Wednesday. Uh, but we did want to finish up with a new segment that we've uh, that we've we've named two minute drill. Um, one of the goals of this podcast is to unify the Sun Belt Conference. So we want to know yes about the football and about the sports, but we also want to know about the the people and coaches that we're interviewing. So uh, I'm going to hand it over to Kyle for a two minute drill, rapid fire questions, and uh, we'll just uh, we'll I, I think we'll have some fun with it. All right. All right. Uh, favorite movie? Oh gosh, that would uh, <laughs> Top Gun Two. Okay, love it. First a great one. Oh, okay. First pro sporting event you went to? First pro sporting event I ever went to? Cincinnati Reds baseball game in nineteen ninety uh, ninety or ninety somewhere around that. Big, big. I was a big, huge Pete Rose, Eric Davis fan. Loved the loved Cincinnati Reds. All right. Uh, what is your game day pump up song? Uh, you know what? I don't listen. I'm not a. I'm not a one of those people. I'm. I'm more um, even keel. I'll just sit and, and relax and, and read. I don't. I don't. I don't use a uh, music to get me going. Okay. Uh, what is the best part of the Coastal Carolina community? Uh, I would say the people. You know that the, the the Till Nation they love they love their Sean Clear sports they love Sean Clear football and and they're they're very appreciative of of what you're trying to do and they're very thankful for that and uh, it's a it's it's a great community to be a part of. Do you have any game day superstitions? Game day superstition, not necessarily superstitions, but I do use the bathroom quite a lot if that's a superstition. <laughs> hey, I mean. We've only lost three games in the last two and a half years, so I think that's a, that, that's a good superstition. I don't know if anybody answered that one, but that's mine. <laughs> <laughs> it's your answer. You're sticking to it. Uh, what is your guilty pleasure meal? Oh, man. Um, I, I would say I love like a country chicken fried steak um, oh. with some pancakes, some mashed potatoes, gravy, biscuits, like – uh, if you get me something like that, that's what I'm gonna go with. Ah, you're making me hungry now. I want I want all that plus some. Uh, first concert you went to? Michael Jackson, Victory Tour, 1984. Nice. 
And last question, greatest football memory. Greatest football memory. Uh, there's a lot. I, uh, I don't know if I can narrow it down, but one that I always – uh, here at Coastal always comes out to the, uh, the BYU win. Having college game day on your campus, not something you'd ever thought would happen. And to have them on your campus and then play a game on national television, two ranked teams, and come out with a win like that, um, you know, pretty special, something you'll always remember. And the fact that it took literally 48 hours for that game to come into fruition. Well, that's right. So that's, that's – uh, I, I tell people all the time, we, we can get, if we get ready in two days, surely we can get ready in five. Right. <laughs> well, that is all we've got, Coach. I want to thank you for your time, uh, taking the time to talk to us, and we wish you the best of luck on Saturday. Thank you very much. Appreciate y'all. All right. Like I said, thank you very much to Coastal Carolina Athletics uh, and SID Kevin Davis and also to Coach Chadwell uh, for taking the time uh, to answer some of those questions. Um, we wish them luck in their game against Georgia Southern uh, this weekend. But, Kyle, let's get into the recaps. Let's get into best of the rest. Well, so, before we go best of the rest, I, I just want to say how um, nice and how articulate uh, Jamie Chadwell is. Like, you you can tell he's he's done this before, but he makes it – sounds so effortless and it's just an overall great guy to listen to you could literally sit there and listen to conversations with him for like hours and it not feel like a chore so i once again i want to thank chadwell coach chadwell for coming on the show today yeah i i agree with you that was um that that was my second time that i had an opportunity to speak to coach chadwell the first uh being in orlando florida for the cure bowl uh last year where Coastal got their first ever bowl win. Um, me and the team were down there. You you are aware. You were you were our guy in the studio. Um, but I was making sure you guys were still on the air. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, Coach Chadwell, he is such a down earth person. I I enjoy our conversations, and hopefully, it's not the last time. Uh, Absolutely. <laughs> but but, I, but like you said, we got to move on to our recaps. You know, we won't. We, we, we do. want to keep. Uh, keep people waiting because we have some big results we need to talk about later on in the episode. But let's look at the non-conference slate first. The first game, and he, you know, a funny story about this one. So it's Texas State blanking FCS member Houston Baptist 34 nothing. When I wrote this, they were Houston Baptist. When they, uh, right before recording, they changed their name to Houston Christian. Either way, they still couldn't score against Texas State, no matter what they called them. Uh, we both uh, correctly picked it on this game. The drive of the game, Cordell Rogers intercepted uh, Houston Baptist Christians uh, quarterback Justin Fomby on the first play of their fifth drive. Three plays later, Marcel Barbie caught a 38-yard touchdown pass to extend the lead 21 nothing. Player of the game, Texas State quarterback, twenty-one um, Lane Hatcher, twenty-seven for forty-one, three sixty-two, four touchdowns. And here's here's the best part about that: his opening drive, Houston Christian got an interception. He, instead of drowning it, drowning in sorrow, he forgot about it and he went out 
and he showed and he redeemed himself with those four touchdowns. TJ, what you think about that? Well, my first um, takeaway from this game is just the fact that Texas State, just looking at the score, you know that they dominated. But when you start to look into the stats, it was completely one-sided. Uh, the first stat that pops up in, in my eyes is the fact that Houston Christian, or let me start with Texas State, they had five attempts in the red zone over the course of the game, and they converted all five times um, for uh, touchdowns. Houston Christian did not make it to the red zone once in the entire game. And I mean, you know, it, we, we can talk all day about, you know, FCS versus FBS opponent, but I think that this is a statement game for Texas state who lost uh, in week three, um, very highly regarded um, Texas state team, or I, I shouldn't say highly regarded, but very anticipated um, uh, Texas state team. Um, and they, they got the job done. I mean, you, you look at the, uh, the third down conversions, uh, they didn't convert well, uh, talking about Texas state, but they were a perfect three for three on fourth down. Uh, so they were moving the ball. They, they obviously put a lot of points up on the board. And I think that Texas state, as we said, um, with head coach, Jake Spavadol, um, you know, still trying to find his, uh, find his, his comfort zone in this season so far. Um, I think that they are on the right track and I think that this was a good game to sort of shift momentum of their season so far. I can understand, but one thing that really is is scratched my head a little bit, you have a outmatched opponent, but yet you're going for on fourth down. They're what three for three, four for four on fourth down, three for three why were they going for it on fourth down like that? You know, to me, if you're, you have an outmatched opponent, you shouldn't even be in that, in that situation where you're wanting to go for it on fourth down. Yeah. I mean, it, that, that's a good point. Um, I'm not exactly, I, I, I could not tell you. Um, but what I can say is that when it came down to it, when it was the, moment of we're either going to turn this ball over or we're going to get those yards that we need, they were able to do it. And I think that that does say something. Okay. I mean, I, I agree with that. I think it's, you know, they should have put a little more trust in their defense to go, listen, okay, we'll punt it. And they haven't scored on us yet. So, but you know, that that's just looking, uh, looking at it from the outside, looking in, but. Right. But nonetheless, good, good win for Texas state. Um, Absolutely. A needed win, a very needed win. So let's take a look at our next game on the slates, Georgia Southern who rebounded to defeat ball state 34 to 23 in the two schools first ever meeting. And once again, you and I both picked this game. Correct. Now a rumor has it, um, that David Letterman was not in attendance for this game. David Letterman, a famous alum of Ball State. Uh, if so, he would have saw the drive of the game after extending the lead 34-23 with a minute 40 left in the game. Ball State drove down 48 yards in 39 seconds 
before uh, Justin Birdsong of Georgia Southern decided to intercept John Paddock as he attempted to hit a receiver up the middle, uh, basically icing the game at that point. Uh, Derwin Burgess Jr., Georgia Southern wide receiver, five catches for 133 yards. Now listen to this, though. Four of his five catches led directly to first downs, and two of those catches led directly to 10 Georgia Southern points. So in rebounding from that loss last week, how does a player like Burgess really help the uh, um, the Georgia Southern quarterback, Kyle Van Treese, get into a rhythm? Well, I mean, it definitely gives him a reliable target. Um, you know, the, 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 this, uh, this, this quarterback, Kyle Van Treese, I, I could talk all day about him like I did for two hours on, uh, on last episode, but, um, you know, this is a passing quarterback. He, he threw for 310 yards, two touchdowns, um, 26 of 39 attempts. So they're, they're throwing the ball a ton. So there's a lot of targets going around. And when you have guys like Burgess that step up, uh, it makes the quarterback's job even easier. So um, I think that, you know, another guy that you, that you got to look at is uh, Amari Jones, uh, number five, who had seven catches for 94 yards. So you had two receivers that went for almost a hundred yards in this game. Um, both of which breaking out for 45 plus yard catches. Uh, the, I, I this George Southern team is scary. Like I I've, I've said it before and, and I will continue to say it. He is that this, this team is going to be a serious problem. Now uh, Burgess and Brown, did they catch all of their targets or, or were they missed on, a, on any targets? Uh, do you mean, do you mean Jones? Jones? Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, so Burgess caught five for eight, uh, and Jones was a perfect seven for seven. So you have your two, two top receivers that basically catch 12 out of 15 balls for a combined over 200 yards. Yeah. Puts puts a lot of confidence in your quarterback. Absolutely. And remember Georgia Southern for years and years, even even back to the days when they were in the Southern Conference, they ran a traditional triple option like you see at Army, Navy, Air Force, where Coastal you don't pass the ball. But when it happened, I'm sorry, where? Uh, Coastal Carolina. So, Coastal, I think Coastal – They've got a modified more, version, but – Yeah, modified. Because, I mean, while, you know, while, you, you, can't, you can't waste Grayson McCall's efficiency. But exactly, exactly. But like Army, Navy, they run a traditional triple option where at the last resort, you pass it. You you pass it for like maybe five, six times a game. Uh, if that happened at Coastal, I, I, I think the fan base would be like, oh, why isn't Grayson throwing it? But before we get, uh, go off on another tangent and end up doing this for two hours. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Georgia Southern yeah. defeats Ball State, uh, thirty-four to twenty-three. Great game for Georgia Southern. And uh, give me, it's give me your final. Too. Yeah, give me your final reaction on uh, Georgia Southern. Where you think they're going to go? I, I think they needed confidence going into next uh, next week's or this week's game with Coastal Carolina. 
because Coastal's riding a two-game winning streak in that series. In fact, the only only games they Coastal's won in that series has been since Coastal came to FBS. So since Coastal's made that transition, Coastal's had Georgia State's uh, Georgia Southern's number. Excuse me. So Georgia Southern needs that uh, momentum going into that game and beating the team like Ball State when the MAC is like historically down right now is much needed confidence, especially on homecoming. You 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 get the kinks worked out going into conference play. So great a great win by Georgia Southern. Um, let's let's just see if they can capitalize on the momentum that they are uh, pushing through. Well said. We're going to take it over to the South Alabama-Louisiana Tech game. And I got to tell you, we were extremely wrong. Uh, <laughs> this was we, our we, – we, we, um, um, uh, I want to try to clean this up a little bit, but we basically messed the bed in this one. Yeah, we did. Um, we had Louisiana Tech winning and South Alabama, um, or, or excuse me, I said, uh, I, I believe I said it was going to be a close game. Louisiana Tech was going to win. Not only did South Alabama win, but it was not close. 38 to 14. Um, so I've got egg I on my face. I honestly believe that someone from South Alabama heard, heard you say that and got offended and decided to take it out on Louisiana Tech. That's well, I, I mean, would hope so, because that means that we've got a bigger audience than we think. But uh, <laughs> but nonetheless, South Alabama proved us wrong. Um, what can you tell me about that game, Kyle? Well, this was um, South Alabama's first victory against Louisiana Tech in three tries. Um, really, the drive of the game was after forcing a three and out on Louisiana Tech's first drive, uh, Colin Lacey returned a punt 57 57- yards for a touchdown this would put south alabama 14 uh ahead 14 nothing and they didn't look back at all carter bradley uh brady the south alabama quarterback 14 to 21 for 178 yards and three touchdowns he had one pick but louisiana tech gave the ball right back to him in three plays later so tj talk to me about it I've got two takeaways from this game. Okay. If you look at the actual um, final score, you know, that it was a blowout. You look at the total yards and passing yards and and you start to break it down a little bit. This was a very evenly fought game other than Louisiana tech, putting this in the end zone. What killed them was rushing yards. Uh, South Alabama almost quadrupled Louisiana Tech on the ground, 175 yards to Louisiana Tech's 57. And Mm. that is where this game, I believe, was won, uh, was just their ability to move the ball on the ground. The other takeaway that I have from this game, not to discredit South Alabama's win, because they 100% deserve it, but something that they're going to have to work on in the future, they had 14 penalties for 131 Mm. yards. And I'm telling you, when you start to get into Sunbelt play, that is not going to fly against your App States, your Troys, and your Coastal Carolinas. They're going to take advantage of that. So that's something that they need to clean up on. Um, but five for 10 on, on third downs, not, not too bad there. 
Um, but yeah, what do you what do you got for me? I mean, fourteen penalties. Ooh, like that right there tells tells me that Louisiana Tech was living rent free in the Jaguars' heads. Like they they got them to. Um, I don't know the breakdown of what penalties were, but probably some holdings, probably a pass interference, probably some offsides. So it's really frustrating them. And the fact that South Alabama was able to overcome that and win is a credit to the coaching staff. But like you said, they have to, they have to cut down on those penalties because if you are penalized 14 times against a Louisiana, a ULM, a Troy, or a Coastal Carolina, um, next thing you know, you're going to be up 21. No, they're going to be down 21, nothing just like that. And wondering what happened. Uh, I, I think another thing is, you know, special teams, special teams, and, and not just in this game, but like all over this, all over the Sun Belt. special teams have been showing up. I, I mean, just, you know, whether it be field goals, uh, that um, punt return for a touchdown by Coastal Carolina, um, big returns that set up long, um, either a long drive or a uh, quick one or two play drive. So special teams can, doesn't get the love it needs to get, but right here on the sun, we're going to give it all the love in the world because special teams are showing out. I, I agree. And special teams, you know, you, you saw what App State can do with special teams last year in the Coastal game in week three. Um, so definitely an important part of any Sunbelt uh, matchup is special teams. Um, but, yeah, great win for South Alabama. Uh, they win 38-14, to 14, which brings us to our next game, Southern Miss – versus Tulane who I got right <laughs> but you did not okay and I, that is that is my bit of bragging rights on the day because it's the only one where we went in separate directions right um but Southern Miss defeats Tulane 27 to 24 Kyle what do you got for me uh, these team these teams used to be conference rivals when they were in conference USA before Tulane decided to upgrade to the American and it's really working out for them so much. Um, but let's, let's look at, and uh, this victory by Southern Miss extends to seriously 24, 10 in the favor of the golden Eagles, but let's look at the drive of the game after taking the lead with a 26 yard field goal Tulane couldn't get it into gear as Eric Scott jr. Intercepted uh, green wave quarterback, Michael Pratt and returned it 35 yards for a touchdown. This would be the turn. This would give the Golden Eagles the lead for good. Uh, player of the game, uh, Jacarius Caston, uh, Southern Miss wide receiver, eight receptions, 91 yards for a touchdown. And the, the touchdown tied the game after Tulane had just had the lead throughout. So this, uh, his touchdown basically gave Golden Eagles the momentum in which Eric Scott Jr. decided to capitalize on and get that interception for a touchdown. All right. Now, I've got a couple of takeaways from this. Okay. okay. Look at the box score 
of this game. If you didn't see a score, you would think that Tulane crushed them. I mean, you, you look at uh, Tulane quarterback, uh, Michael Pratt, he goes 19 for 29 with 247 yards, a touchdown, 66 completion rate to uh, Southern Miss Zach Wilk, um, the freshman quarterback. He went 17 for 25, 194 yards. So just a 50-yard difference, nothing crazy there. But then you look at Southern Miss's rushing, their lead rusher at 44 yards. You look at Tulane's rushing, their lead rusher, Tajay Spears, had 114 and two touchdowns. I mean, this was and, – and then you look at time of possession of this game. Southern Miss got outpossessed almost 12 minutes of this game. It was, it was 36 minutes to 24 minutes in Tulane's favor. And Southern Miss came out on top. So what now after hearing all of that, Kyle, what do you think happened in this game that gave Southern Miss such an improbable win? Well, looking at the Russian stats, um, like I said, Frank Gore Jr., um, son of Frank Gore, had 16 carries for 44 yards. Tulane, I want to say – let me pull this up real quick. I want to make sure. Uh, Ty J. Spears had 22 carries. So he had six more carries, but got 114 yards off of it. Um, what really stands out is that because of all of this, um, the um, what's was, what was the best way to put it? Because of all of the inability to run, giving Tulane the ball, they couldn't take advantage of it. Like uh, they had a turnover on downs. They had several punts, uh, missed field goal. They had an interception return for a touchdown. And then their next drive was turnover on downs. So Southern Miss was giving them opportunities to run the ball into the end zone. Tulane could not capitalize on it. So I think that is what was really the turning point was Tulane's inability to finish drives. I think that's well said and a well-deserved win for Southern Miss, proving both of us wrong. Uh, we got to pick it up just a bit. So we're going to get into the game. Well, first of all, we're going to get into Sunbelt Conference games, but we're going to get into the game that we teased the entire episode for two hours uh, last week and never actually talked about. It was Thursday's game, Coastal Carolina versus Georgia State. We spoiled it for you already. Coastal Carolina won. We both got the pick right. Um, tell me what you can about that game, Kyle. So Grayson McCall was on fire. Oh, yeah. Literally, literally the first play of the game is a 50-yard touchdown pass to uh, Jared Brown. And then the next drive is another 50 plus yard touchdown pass to, to Jared who? Brown. Jared Brown. Yeah. <laughs> to Jared uh, Brown, of course. Six for eight for 140, two touchdowns, one rushing in the first quarter alone. Uh, it's 50 and 53 yards. Um, but also, McCall only played three quarters 19 for 27, 268, two touchdowns, uh, two passing and one rushing touchdown. Um, did have a 
lower body injury, but so they they kept him out of the rest of the game to protect him for uh, for this week coming up since they had a long week. But yeah, Jared Brown broke out five catches on six targets, one twenty nine, two touchdowns. So. I don't know if you actually, you know, because I know that you said that McCall played for three quarters uh, and then he came out of the game. Um, he didn't need three quarters to do uh, all of his scoring. I mean, he, he had what I would say in, in my time watching the Shauna clears McCall just had his best opening quarter, or I would say quarter in general, that he's ever had in his collegiate career. And he's had, he's had some big ones, but in the first quarter alone, he went six for eight attempts. He went, he took those six completions for 140 yards. He passed for two touchdowns. And then at the end of the first quarter, he ran in a third. So all three of his scores came on the game in the first quarter and I mean, he was on pace to have a career night. Like we, like we said in um, last week's episode, I, I thought that McCall was going to break out against a struggling pass defense, and we could not have been more right. I, <laughs> if, if he had a full Absolutely. game. I think I, I think I remember texting you. I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, it, it, you know, in, in the first, you know, if, if we saw McCall for a full game, I, I, he would have easily broken 300 passing yards. Um, I mean, you know, the, the, the Georgia, uh, Georgia, excuse me, the Georgia state defense, uh, kind of shut him down a little bit. He wasn't quite as hot as that first quarter for the rest of the game. Um, but 19 for 27, 268 yards and three total touchdowns with no interceptions. That's I'll take that any given day. Well, we also, I guess I love the Coastal's defense um, holding Georgia State's fearsome running running back core to just 78 yards rushing for firm, two, two picks, two fumble recoveries, so four turnovers. They have a plus seven turnover ratio, which is currently six, tied for sixth in the NCAA, second in the Sun Belt. And the defensive secondary had those two interceptions um, and really shut down um, Granger, the, um, Georgia state quarterback. Yeah. Um, like we, you, you know, like you, you touched on, you know, that they had some big plays and I, I believe it was, was two interceptions and two fumble recoveries, uh, in the course of that game for coastal's defense. Coastal has been all see, and we were talking about this earlier this week, coastal's defense has big playability. And they've shown that all year, but they were really struggling with the little things, the holding teams to um, less yards per play, um, not letting opposing teams move the ball with uh, with efficiency. And this was the best they've looked all year um, yeah, without, I, I, without I a we, doubt. I think we attributed that to the fact that, they had a lot of new players in in major roles on that coastal defense. So you knew that they were going to turn the corner. It wasn't a matter of if, it was a matter of when. And Georgia State is uh, licking their wounds. And I got to give a shout out to Coastal, uh, coastal Football's Instagram and their social media page. The picture that they put up with, uh, waffle, with the waffles, with the syrup in the, in the form of a W, 
And then the Georgia State uh, mascot looking up at the Waffle House sign, but the L is darkened out. <laughs> like uh, these social these social media people run run these uh, schools accounts. I, I think they need raises just just because of what they do, you know, and and how how they can literally troll a team uh, team they beat in just the little things. It's funny. Yeah, I I I love the social media accounts across the Sun Belt. Um, just like the fan bases, they are rabid at times. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but Coastal defeats Georgia State forty-one to twenty-four, keeps their season uh, their their perfect season hopes alive. And uh, another thing that I believe we forgot to mention last week: the away team has still only won this series. <laughs> Yes. The and, the home team has never won. Next year. Yeah, we'll 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 see uh we'll see what happens next year. But uh Coastal improves to four and they face Georgia Southern uh and that scary offense that we mentioned uh next week or, or this Saturday. So let's move on to the next Sunbelt matchup, which is Troy and Marshall. Uh you and I both picked Marshall and Troy. Uh, in a very close game, very low scoring game, uh, Troy extends Marshall's post upset drought uh, with a sixteen to seven victory. I mean, what there was really two things that I that I saw about this game. Troy scored first on a twenty three yard fumble recovery by uh, Buddha Jones. This was caused by a sack on. Marshall quarterback Henry Columbia, a sack of a loss of 19 yards, forcing the fumble. But Marshall could not convert on long drives of six plus plays. They had four drives that had six or more plays, three punts, and a missed field goal. And Marshall's Marshall's offense did not show up. Their only score came off an Elijah Austin interception of Troy quarterback Gunnar Watson. But um, Troy amassed 421 uh, 400 yards of total offense. So, I mean, it was it, it was a bowling shoe ugly game, I think is the best way to put it. So, slight adjustment um, to what you said. Um, the, so, Gunnar Watson did – uh, get intercepted, um, but actually the the lead rusher for Marshall, Kalan Laybourne, he had a um, the the touchdown that stemmed from that. Uh, Troy actually did not okay. generate an offensive score. Um, yeah. They uh, or a touchdown, I should say. Um, they actually was uh, they they had a pick six. Um, off of um, off of uh, Marshall quarterback uh, Henry Columbia. So oh, I, I do want to make a quick um, correction. Um, it was Troy that has four hundred twenty had four hundred twenty one yards of offense, not Marshall. And Troy and uh, Troy did not score an offensive touchdown at all. Yeah, that was yeah. So. Um, very close game and Marshall has 
two straight losses coming off of a win against number eight Notre Dame in week two. Um, what do you think now that they've dropped to, you know, this, this team is now two and two uh, and they are now and one in, in conference play to open this up against a Troy team who had a very close game against app state. Uh, where do you think realistically now that we've seen um, Marshall play four games where do you think they sit uh, in terms of the the Sun Belt East? Like, where in the pack do they fall? Well, I'll make one comment before I uh, answer that question. Yeah. Um, the more losses that Marshall occurs or, you know, gets in the season, it hurts Notre Dame if they want to try to make the college football playoff because the strength of schedule is going to continue to get um, – that strength of victory is going to continue to get worse – it's going to look like, okay, you you did not deserve to lose to that team, so you don't deserve to be in the playoff. But in regards to Marshall's place in these in the Sun Belt East, go ahead. Well, real quick before you get into to that, uh, this isn't a this this isn't the um, the under the independent podcast. I know, uh, but I will I say no, no. But I will because I'm about to talk about them too. <laughs> you know, you know that I'm a Notre Dame fan. Um, so. Notre Dame's going through a transition period right now with uh, with head coach Marcus Freeman taking over for Brian Kelly, who suddenly left um, for LSU uh, right before their bowl game. Um, so I think that Notre Dame, I, I kind of had a feeling that Notre Dame was going to be having a down year. Uh, did I expect 0-2 to start the season? No, I didn't expect that. Um, but I think that regardless of whether or not Marshall goes on and wins out the rest of their schedule, I don't think that Notre Dame's making the playoff anyway. But as far as Marshall in, in the hierarchy of the um, Sunbelt East, I think right now they're going to be in spoiler mode. I, I don't see them based on how their offense has been over the last couple of weeks. I don't see them making a run at the East. I think they may play spoiler with a couple teams that are trying to win the East, like Coastal, App State, and James Madison. Although App, App State's are already behind the eight ball because they lost um, a very a very uh, disappointing game, which we'll talk about. So I see them as a middle of pack right now. If they don't fix um, their um, offensive woes, it could it could get worse for Marshall before it gets better. Yeah, because you cannot continue to rely on Kalan Laybourne to carry your offense as as great of a season as he's having so far. Um, you know, last week we we mentioned he was one of the top five rushers in college football, um, but you can't rely on him for every single score. Um, I still like the approach that Marshall has. I still am a huge fan of head coach Charlie Huff. Uh, they just need to figure something out. Um, and hopefully in, in week five, they'll have their chance. Understandable. But a good, great win by Troy. Um, and definitely is going to take some momentum as they get further into Sunbelt play. Absolutely. So let's now take a look at our next matchup, Old Dominion and Arkansas State in their conference opener. Old Dominion 
wins in a thriller 29 to 26. And now you're starting to see a trend where we are wrong uh, consistently. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we had Arkansas State to win this game. Um, I really liked uh, what Arkansas State had to uh, had to offer against Memphis. Uh, but Old Dominion shows why they were able to uh, play two really good games against ACC schools. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, the second half was dominated by Old Dominion. Um, Arkansas State scored the first 12 points of in the first half. Actually, the only points in the first half. O- ODU outscored Arkansas State 29-14 to 14 in the second half. Um, a big part of that was Allie Jennings, the third had his third 100 yard reception day this season with a four, four catch for 140 and a touchdown stat line. He has 559 yards this season as going into week five, going into week five last year, he only had 224 and, uh, he only had five touchdowns last year. He has up five coming into week five this year. And uh, ODU was one sack away from tying a school record for most sacks in a single game. In fact, uh, their uh, first two games in the 2017 season, they had a combined 15 sacks, seven in one game against uh, UMass and eight against, I can't remember who their opponent was uh, looking up their record book. But yeah, uh, defense came to play. Yeah, and, and a shout-out. I don't know if you uh, gave a shout-out to Tyree Bibby yet. Um, no, not yet. Not but, yet. Uh, but I wanted to give a shout-out to him, uh, his first uh, collegiate fumble recovery. Uh, congratulations to him, and it came at a pretty big time. Um, mm-hmm. But like you said, yeah, the defense came to play, and, um, and ODU continues their great season, um, and they are 1-0 in Sunbelt play. Absolutely. And I mean, when, when, when your first goal and they rebounded mentally. So the first score occurred with 10, 10 minutes left in the first half when Hayden Wolf, the old ODU quarterback held onto the ball in the back of the end zone, resulting in a safety that can do mental mind tricks. Just ask, um, Dan Ovlosky and, um, Jimmy Garoppolo this past Sunday, uh, situations like that where I know this is a, the unofficial NFL podcast, but <laughs> it's a similar situation where you you accidentally run out the back and end zone while holding the football, results in a safety. How do you rebound from, uh, rebound from that? Well, when you have Allie Jennings going for uh, 140 yards. You have uh, Tyree Bibby getting his first career fumble recovery, and you have a uh, defense that sacks Arkansas State seven times. That will get you, as a quarterback, in a better mindset to succeed and put that um, that mental uh, mistake in the past. Yeah, I I agree. Old Dominion um, shows why they are as highly regarded as they are. but still, shout out to Arkansas State. You know, I, I, I still think that they are a threat. Um, they outproduced um, Old Dominion in total yards. They had 404 total yards, 292 in the air, 112 
on the ground. And the only one where they uh, were in the, um, the, the, where, where they were outproduced by old dominion was pass yards. Um, mm-hmm. So they moved the ball well, and I, it was a really close game. Old Dominion just had the edge at the end, um, but I'm still I'm still excited to see what Arkansas State does with the rest of the Sun Belt schedule. But you 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 know who else I'm excited uh, to talk about? Uh, I have a pretty good idea um, because it was a fantastic game. Absolutely, the ULM um, Warhawks, I believe, is is, is their um... yes. New name? Okay. Uh, the upsetting the defending Sunbelt champion, Louisiana Raging Cajun, 21 to 17. Woo. Before, before we get into stats, I just want to say that I should have went with my dark horse. I should have went with my sleeper. I gave them so much praise. I talked them up, and then I picked against them. Shows how smart I am. Um, <laughs> we... Gosh, I I really wish that I went with them um, because they are my sleeper pick, and they showed why. And they mm-hmm. they they won twenty one to seventeen in a really close game. Um, I want to give a huge shout out to ULM running back Andrew Henry. Uh, Eleven attempts for one hundred and twenty three yards and a touchdown. He also had a seventy five yard touchdown on the first play after a touchback. Um, it was, you know, absolutely crazy, um, performance from him. And another guy that went really under the radar. He's a guy with probably my favorite name in the Sun Belt. His name is Bugs Mortimer. And he had two rushing attempts for 27 yards. And those were two plays that uh, I believe one resulted in a first down. Uh, he came off of a sweep. Um, and you know, I think that he, in just two attempts producing almost 30 yards, I, I think that, you know, they, they, they've got a little secret weapon in the rush game with, uh, with bugs Mortimer. Um, he's going to go overlooked by a lot of people cause he doesn't get a whole lot of snaps, but when he right. does, you know, his long, take, his long was 24 yards. Of, he takes advantage of the opportunities when they're given them. Right. Exactly. Um, another huge performance for ULM was Tyrone Howell. Uh, three catches for 124 yards, the, long, uh, the longest of which being an 89-yard uh, pass. Um, yeah, I'd, ULM, was, ULM came to play, and, and they, they pulled the upset off, and I'm still really just upset that I didn't go with them. Um, cause I should have, well, let, 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 let me talk about this stat real quick. Cause, uh, and looking at, looking at the stats, really, it just, it tells you what the, what was the kiss of death for you, uh, Louisiana on offense. Uh, first down was just horrendous for UOM. So credit to the, uh, I'm sorry for Louisiana credit to UOM defense. Um, UOM had uh, averaged 8.1 yards on a first down play compared to 3.5 for Louisiana. Um, getting eight yards on your first play leads to better third down distances. UOM's average distance to go was 4.3. 
Louisiana's average distance to go was 8.5. But let me ask you this question. What does it say about UOM when you're, you have four yards to go on a third down, but you only convert six for 15? Um, I think it speaks less about Louisiana's offense and more about ULM's defense. Um, this is a, a, a defense that has seen two SEC opponents, and we talked extremely high of, um, of, of their ability to outproduce per play, um, to, to out uh, – I'm fine. I'm still trying to find the way to say that correctly. Um, but to, to move the ball better than Alabama when, when Alabama played ULM. Um, mm. And I think that now that we're getting in a conference play where ULM is a, a sleeper pick to win the West and, and proves it uh, in this game, this is where you're going to see that defense and that experience through the first three weeks of seeing these top tier programs that's where it's going to come out. Um, so ULM's defense did their job. Uh, I think Louisiana has a very talented offense. I mean, you, you look at, uh, at Chandler Fields, he went 20 for 34 for 231 yards. Um, he didn't have a bad game by any standards. Um, but it was just that they, they have a stout, stout defense um, in, in Louisiana Monroe. Um, it, I mean, tackled for, for loss, uh, they, in, in terms of total yards that the two team uh, that, uh, ULM, uh, had tackles for loss, they amassed 30 yards for loss in the, uh, duration of the game. Um, they had four pass breakups. Uh, they hurried the quarterback. It says here two times, but the pressure was getting to Chandler fields the entire game that, that, Front four for for ULM is is going to be problematic for uh, for Sun Belt offenses. Um, yeah, I I am a huge fan of ULM. I apologize from the bottom of my heart for not picking you guys to win, um, but you you showed me up. You proved me wrong. You you do know who else we need to uh, apologize to, right? As we go into our final game. Yeah. Yeah. We need to apologize to them too. Cause uh, we, we had some now looking back at it, some outlandish things to say about James Madison, or I'll say I did. I definitely right. did. I said that they were not uh, contenders this year, but maybe next year uh, knocked off the, uh, the hottest team in college football app state uh, with a final score of 32 to 28. Yeah. This is their first meeting since 2008. Um, strangely enough, it was, um, it was a year after the 2007 season when they met in the playoffs. Um, yeah, cause the, these two didn't, they were never in the same conference. They never really played regularly, but this is the first loss that Appalachian state has, uh, has been defeated by James Madison since 1991. Uh, we were in war in Iraq in 1991. That's the last time James Mass uh, James <laughs> Madison defeated Appalachian State in Boone. But let's we we we, well, we got to give Appalachian State you know their credit. The first half was basically Appalachian State, but the second quarter, uh, a few drives really just um, hit it home. 
Uh, yeah, the, 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 uh, I didn't mean to cut you off. The, the second quarter was indications that this was going to go the way that we thought it was. I, you know, the, um, do you want to get into it or do you want me to? I can. Yeah, go so, ahead. Um, uh, once James Madison ended their drive, uh, Deshaun McN- uh, McKnight forced JMU, uh, running back Latrell Palmer to fumble. Chase Bryce connected with Miller Gibbons on the right side for a touchdown to extend the lead to 14 nothing. Then the next drive, the Dukes drove down to the App State 32, but they decided to go for it on fourth down. Was unsuccessful. Two big plays basically gave uh, Appalachian State a 21-3 lead. Uh, Amani Marshall rushed for 24 yards to get them into Duke territory. And then Dalton Stroman caught a 27-yard pass up the middle from Chase Bryce. The next, next AMU drive, they fumbled after um, quarterback Tom Centino suffered a sack for a loss of six yards. And just in case you're having a feeling of deja vu, you are, because it's the same story again. Nate Noel ran it up the middle five yards for a touchdown, set up by a Kandian Robinson to um, 11-yard pass from Chase Bryce. But the bleeding was stopped for James Madison with a four-minute drive that covered 75 yards. Uh, the Kalon Black to Todd, uh, Todd Santino connection really was the force in that drive and really started to swing the momentum into the Duke's favor with a 23-yard touchdown to close the gap 28-10 going into halftime. They did, they tried to give Appalachian State another chance uh, when they missed a field goal before halftime, but Appalachian State just ran out the ball. Yeah, and I mean, four unanswered touchdowns due to just big plays by App State. And that second quarter, like I said, like this, this, this had the makings of a massacre in that second quarter, just by the way that App State was able to capitalize on those opportunities and those mistakes that James Madison was making. And then they went completely scoreless in the second half. They, they came out of the locker room completely flat and James Madison took advantage and scored the, the final 22 points of the game. It, it, it was a great win by James Madison. Um, I mean, it was a well, well spread out offensive attack too. Like there were no necessary, there, there weren't necessarily people that stood out on James Madison, but there were a lot of people that got touches. Um, mm-hmm. And then you look at total yards. I mean, that's, that's the stat that you need to look at right there. Um, James Madison, 376 total yards of offense to App State's 298. Um, you know, that it, it was a great win. It was a great game, first of all. I, it was a hard-fought game. Uh, but James Madison, great, great win against the hottest team in college football, like I said. And here is um, looking at the last 32 years. This is the number James Madison is, is uh, looking to eclipse, 10-3. and three. Marshall, in their first year in FBS in 1997, had a 10-3 record. Um, Florida, Atlantic, and Georgia Southern had 9-3. and three. 
Texas San Antonio had eight and four, South Florida seven and four. James Madison's three and zero, so they're already almost halfway to South Florida. Um, they're not they're not going to get to ten and three because they're not they won't be eligible for a bowl game or the Sun Belt Championship. So I think they're going to be motivated to be as best uh, you know get as best a record as possible to basically inform everyone, okay, when we're eligible for the Sunbelt title and we're eligible for a ball game, you don't, you're not going to take us lightly. And this continues the trend of teams moving up from FCS into the Sunbelt and making impact. Yeah. So James Madison assumes the role of professional headache causer. Uh, for these Sunbelt teams who are fighting for a championship. A great, great win for James Madison. Um, and that's the entire slate. So in summary, going over our predictions of how they went last week, uh, I went four and five, um, and you went three and six. And I think that we should keep a running total throughout the rest of this season. Oh, absolutely. That's you know, I have a spreadsheet for that. <laughs> Speaking of predictions, because we're doing so well on time, we're finally, we're, we're just getting the predictions. Um, let's go throughout the slate, make our picks, and we're going to do them real quick, rapid fire to finish up this episode. All right. Week five predictions. So, so, the first game we've got up on our slate here, Kyle, is Citadel at App State. Hmm. A good old-fashioned Southern Conference matchup. All right. Honestly, I know Citadel's currently riding a two-game winning streak in this, but they haven't faced an Appalachian State team that's a member of FBS and basically – scaring um, power five teams. Uh, this is a no brainer. It's going to be Appalachian state. They, they need a rebound after last week. Yep. And uh, we just like last week, we're going to start boring app state for me as well. Um, I think that chase Bryce and this offense is just too much to handle, not to mention their defense is incredible as well. So uh, I think that they bounce back, they get on track uh, and set up themselves for uh, week six, getting back into conference play. So both of us picking App State there. All right. Our next matchup is going to be the Gardner-Webb Bulldogs coming back to face a Sunbelt team, this time traveling to Huntington, West Virginia, to face the Thundering Herd of Marshall. Marshall won their only meeting in 2013, 55 to nothing. TJ, does are you picking the upset in this? So I'm going to drag this out as uh, <laughs> as suspensefully as I possibly can. Um, Gardner Webb, you know the 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 team that I can compare uh, Marshall to in terms of um, you know just just competition level is Gardner-Webb did face Coastal. And this was in week two. And Gardner-Webb was very close to beating Coastal. They took the lead in the fourth quarter. Uh, But the big thing in that game, 
the big turning point was the fact that neither team rushed a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Um, Marshall only rushes pretty much. Uh, the only time that uh, Marshall quarterback Henry Columbia has had over 300 passing yards was against Bowling Green in a loss. So mm-hmm. my prediction is Gardner Webb's got a good run defense. Marshall's got a good run offense. This is going to come down to whether or not Marshall quarterback Henry Columbia can show up to play. I've got Marshall winning in a close game. Well, you know, you're talking about uh, rushing, how uh, Coastal really couldn't rush against um, this Marshall team. The following week, they allowed 217 yards rushing to the Elon Phoenix. So I look at it from this perspective. Marshall needs to get off this slide. This is the perfect opponent at the perfect time to get Marshall back on the winning ways. I believe it, it Marshall is going to win because we're trying to be boring here, but I don't think it's going to be close. I think it'll be close in the first half, but Marshall will run away in the second. That was something that I forgot to bring up was the fact that both of these teams are on two game losing streaks. So this is a bounce back game for both teams. But like you said, I think Marshall's going to be too much to handle. I still have them close though. Okay. Well, the next matchup we're looking at uh, Georgia state versus army, but this time army hosts a member of the Sunbelt. Uh, they played last season with army winning 43 to 10. Does Georgia state get its win back? Well, once again, the team in common is coastal Carolina. Um, this time coastal has played both of these teams and you look at what, uh, Grayson McCall had to do to beat Georgia state. And it was a passing attack. Um, you know, the, the, the rushing, uh, was there for coastal. It's not like it was non-existent, but that was a game won by Grayson McCall in the air, uh, and the defense, uh, from coastal army, as you stated earlier in this show is a true triple option. So I think that they're going to have a really tough time against Georgia state's front four, which are really, really good. I've got Georgia state winning big. Okay. Well, here's where we're going to have some fun. Oh, really? Yes. This is where we're going to have some fun. Um, Army has been one of the best independent teams over the last couple of years. Uh, I can remember when, if they got three wins in a season, it, it was a successful season. Now they're, they're in bowls almost every year. Georgia State got demoralized by Coastal Carolina. Coastal Carolina almost lost the Army. So Army knows if we almost beat Coastal and Coastal beat Georgia State, we have a good shot at this. I'm going Army. So the first upset of the week is going to be Army over Georgia State. Yes. All right. I like it. 
I I'm I'm a huge fan of it. But yeah, you picked Georgia State, so we'll just move on to the next one. Yeah. Hey, someone's gonna be up. <laughs> right. But let's see the next matchup: Troy at Western Kentucky. Troy holds a five-two series lead. Um, all these meeting these used to be uh, Sun Belt games before Western Kentucky went to Conference USA. TJ, does Troy's winning streak extend to two in the series? So, Troy, coming off of, excuse me for just one second, Troy coming off of the victory against Marshall, um, we kind of unanimously decided that Troy underperformed. Um, I think that Troy, you know, you know, Troy definitely, um, is a good football team. They faced app state and had that game won until the final seconds. Um, and I think that Troy's looking to extend after that loss to app state, they're looking to extend this winning streak to two. Here's the thing though, Western Kentucky, not exactly known for, um, being an elite football team, but they are coming into this year. They are two and one or going into this game. I should say they are two and one, or excuse me, they're three and one. Uh, their first game was played on August 27th. Uh, they put up 73 unanswered points against FIU. This is a great offense. They lost a close game to Indiana, Power Five team, 33 to 30. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm going with I'm I'm going with an upset here. Western Kentucky is going to beat Troy, and I think it's gonna come down to the fact that this Western Kentucky team is just a really talented offense. The other thing that we have to bring up is last year, Western Kentucky upset App State in the Boca Raton Bowl. So it's not like they can't, it's not like they're on, it's not like they're not used to the upset. So I've got Western Kentucky here. Okay. Well, you, you brought out them getting 73 unanswered points against FIU. And I countered that argument with this. It's FIU. If you're not scoring 73 to nothing on FIU, I, I then you need to look at your offensive philosophy because FIU, I'm sorry, they have regressed to the point where when the American wanted F, uh, FAU for expansion, they said, you know what? We don't want FIU. We had Rutgers in the past, we had Temple in the past. We don't want that. They can stay in Conference USA. Troy, uh, they did underperform, but they got the victory. They're going to work on some things this week. Um, I, I, I'm not impressed with Western Kentucky right now, but so I'm, I'm going with Troy. Yeah, I do agree. You know, 73 points against FIU is, you know, I, I think it's you have to be – scoring 73 points against FIU if you are considered a good football program. And I, you know, I think that that says something to Western Kentucky's ability to 
move the ball. So I'm still going to stick with them. I'm not after the ULM upset. I am not leaving any upsets up for chance. I'm going for the win this week. I'm sticking with my gut. All right. Well, the next matchup we got Liberty at Old Dominion. Liberty currently holds a two game, two games to one series edge, and is on a two game winning streak. Does the streak go to three games, TJ? So, these are two extremely evenly matched teams. Liberty, uh, they lost a very close game to a Power Five. Uh, coming off, I can't think of it off the top of my head, but they. Um, they, they lost a very close game or excuse me. They actually, they beat Southern Miss and Southern Miss has power five, uh, experience so far in this season. Um, Liberty has been highly regarded for a very long time. Old Dominion has a power five win and almost completed the Virginia ACC suite. Uh, so very evenly matched teams. I think I got to go ODU here. Um, I think that Old Dominion's defense is going to play a role in this one, and I think Liberty is going to lose a close game. Uh, I think we're getting back on the boring train. I agree with you. <laughs> um, Liberty, I, I, I just don't know uh, much, you know, that much about them. Yeah, they they almost beat Wake Forest, but then Wake Forest took. Clemson uh, double overtime. So it could have been a bad, uh, I think it was more of a bad game by Wake than it was a good game by Liberty. ODU coming off of that, like just historic first win as a member of the Sun Belt, they want to keep the momentum running. So, but speaking of historic, ULM at Arkansas State. Arkansas State is currently on a 12 game winning streak in this series. The last ULM victory was in 2009. TJ, does the streak end? So, getting into this game, Arkansas State and Memphis. You heard Ryan Silverfield, the head coach of Memphis last week, say that Arkansas State is a really, really good football team. Uh, James Blackman, the quarterback for Arkansas State, he passed for 275 yards and two touchdowns in that game. He knows how to move the ball. This um, this Red Wolves offense is a good one. But if you think I'm going up, if you think that I'm going to pick against ULM again so that I can have two eggs on my face, you are out of your mind. This ULM offense is electric. This ULM defense is stout, and I I am fully bought in. They're my they are now my pick for the West, undisputed. So ULM's gonna win this game. Okay. Um I I, I gotta agree with you. Um I we picked against them last week and it didn't work. So Arkansas State's coming off of a demoralizing three-point loss to uh, Old Dominion, and ULM is coming off. The only thing I worry about, and I say this all the time, is the Louisiana game they weren't supposed to win. The Arkansas State game they're, I think, supposed supposed to be good in it. So does ULM – uh, look past Arkansas State? I think no. And I got UOM too. 
So let's let's go into a first ever meeting, Texas State at James Madison. Does James Madison decide to cross into uh, cross division lines and mess up the West Division race as well? I've spoke very highly about Texas State and uh, what Jake Spavadol is doing over there, but this is an easy decision for me. It's it's James Madison. Um, like uh, like Coach Spavadol was saying, you know, you can't just have one guy step up. Ashton Hawkins is having a great season at uh, at wideout over there. Um, they just they I, I don't think that they're going to move the ball very well against James Madison. This is a good team. They've proven to us that they are going to be a problem in years to come. And James Madison's going to take this one relatively easy. Ooh. Okay. So I, I think um, they, they have the culture in place where big wins doesn't phase these players. Because remember, this is a team that prior to this season was regularly in the quarterfinals or or further in the FCS playoffs. So they are well aware of what big, uh, big games can do and what the pressure is, and they don't fold under it. FBS is a different level. It is. So I, I think what's going to happen is they're going to get off to another slow start. They're going to make a game of it in the second half, but I think Texas State is going to eke out a victory. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll take the egg on, uh, on my one, uh, on my face for that one. But speaking of egg on their face, Louisiana wants to try to wipe that egg off after the UOM uh, defeat. When they host South Alabama, Louisiana leads this series 8-2 to two and is on a six-game winning streak. Does the Raging Cajuns get back on track? I think so. Um, nothing against South Alabama. Um, you know, they, they are a, a middle-of-the-pack football team, and Louisiana just got embarrassed by their cross-state rival. So I think that, unfortunately, they're going to take it out on South Alabama. I think South Alabama stays competitive, uh, but Louisiana is going to pull it out. Uh, and they're going to pull away towards the end of the game. I agree. Like if you ever play your rival in the middle of a season, and you get and you get embarrassed when you're normally the team winning in that series, um, it's like uh, Duke North Carolina football. North Carolina always wins, but then when Duke has that has that win, North Carolina is going to take it out on their next opponent. It's so. those intangibles that you can't measure. Remember, in a rivalry game, the record is always 0-0. It doesn't matter when it is in the season. Yes. But speaking of end of the season, this is – or not so much end, but this is the end of our pick segment with our last matchup, Georgia Southern at Coastal Carolina. As I stated earlier, Georgia State's 5-3 and in the overall series, but all three of those losses have come as members of the Sun Belt. T.J., does the teal turf well, does the uh, teal turf mess up Georgia Southern and give Coastal Carolina an advantage? So I want to start off by saying that this is my pick for game of the week um, so far. This is 
the matchup uh, and, and it could 100% be biased um, because of us being coastal alums, but I really like what this matchup offers. It's, it's two great quarterbacks, one who's been running the Sun Belt and one who's now just bursting on the scene with a career year uh, mm-hmm. going at it. I think it's going to be a shootout. I think that these, these defenses are going to have a serious game ahead of them. Um, Coastal's defense, as we said, against Georgia State, I think they figured some stuff out and they were able to stop Darren Granger. But as much as I like Darren Granger, he is not a 2022 version of Kyle Van Treese. I want to thank Coach Chadwell for coming on the show. But I have to go with Georgia Southern with the Ooh. upset. And that I'm hoping, just hoping from, from my alma mater standpoint, that this is going to be uh, my, my only wrong prediction of the week. Right. But, but, but remember, it's, it's going to be such a close game. It's going to be yeah. such a close game. I can't stress that enough. We're making these picks not as alumni of a certain school, but as um, people who are, you know, have followed football for most of their lives. So yeah, but it, it just it brings me so much pain to have to pick against my shots. I but I think that this I, I've been raving about this this Georgia Southern new look all year, and I think that it's going to be too much for the defensive secondaries to handle. I think with what happened in Boone last week combined with what the turning of the corner with the defense was last week in Atlanta, I think now they're clicking on, they're starting to click on the majority of the cylinders. They're not on all cylinders yet, but Coastal at 75% is better than some teams at 100 so I believe, one, just like you, it's going to be a shootout. Defense not apply. And unlike you, I think it will be Coastal that ekes out the victory to improve to 2-0 in conference play. And they're going to hope that James Madison loses to Texas State so they can get 2-0 all to themselves. One last thought from me about this is, you know, this is going to be it, – it's such a it, – you know, time and time again, Grayson McCall has proven why it's such a dumb decision to bet against him. But I think that, you know, we, we're going to see who shows up. We're going to see what offenses show up. Grayson McCall got the ability to throw the ball more than he's been able to throw the ball all season last week against Georgia state. Um, If they continue on that trend and McCall um, continues to throw the ball with the efficiency that he's shown his entire career, then coastal wins this easy, but I just, I can't help thinking. I can't help thinking. So Georgia Southern's my pick. All right. Well, we will definitely see next week uh, since we have some um, games that we actually picked against each other. 
we will see if uh, TJ continues his winning streak or uh, if I decide to throw him into the ocean, just like Hurricane Ian will throw a lot of lawn furniture into the ocean. Hopefully not mine. Hopefully not yours. Um, and uh, so we're, we're going to end this episode. Uh, I know you're getting ready to travel to um, Georgia, I believe, somewhere in Georgia. Yep, time to evacuate. Time to uh, get out of Dodge before everything comes down. But um, thank you very much for tuning in to week or episode two of the Under the Sun podcast. We will see you next week when we go over week five uh, recaps and we will hopefully have another interview for you. So check us out on Instagram at under SBC under the sun podcast. Again, that's at SBC under the sun podcast. If you want to follow us for some scheduling information and for some other content, uh, hit us up there. Tune in next week. We'll be back hopefully dry and uh we will see you next week we'll see ya see ya